Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 283. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Therapists, do you feel stuck when working with clients who are numb and disconnected, who have trouble accessing emotion and exploring their inner experience? Learn a comprehensive approach to conceptualize your client's concerns. Sensory motor psychotherapy uniquely includes the body and therapy as both a source of information and a target for intervention because words are not enough. Go beyond theories and gain practical ways to open a new dimension for effective therapy. Visit Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute online at sensorymotor.org today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Today, I'm very fortunate and honored to be interviewing Dr. Kristen Neff. For the past 20 years, Dr. Kristen Neff has pioneered research into the psychological health benefits of self-compassion and taught people how to be kinder and more supportive to themselves. Her first book, Self-Compassion, is a best-selling classic that revolutionized how we think about self-acceptance and self-care. Definitely changed my life. In her timely new book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive, she argues that in order to realize the full benefits of self-compassion, we need to develop both its fierce and tender side. Drawing on a wealth of research, her personal life story, and empirically supported practices, Neff demonstrates how women can use fierce and tender self-compassion to succeed in the workplace, engage in caregiving without burning out, be authentic in relationships, and in the silence around sexual violence. Most women intuitively recognize fierceness as part of our true nature, but have been discouraged from developing it. In her new book, Fierce Self-Compassion, Kristen Neff shows women how to create balance within themselves so they can help restore balance in the world so sorely needed. During our conversation, she talked about the three main aspects of fierce self-compassion. She explained how the two types of self-compassion can be in or out of balance and the consequences of each. So I was very pleased to be able to speak with Dr. Kristen Neff, and I hope that you will enjoy our conversation as much as I did. My guest today is Dr. Kristen Neff. 
Kristen, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. I'm happy to be here, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so happy too. And can we just start off by you telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, my son calls me the self-compassion lady. So I'm, so I'm the self-compassion lady, right? So I started researching. Well, I'm a I'm an associate professor at a University of Texas at Austin. So I'm a researcher. And for almost the past 20 years, I've been researching self-compassion in particular. And then about the last 10 years, I've been developing ways to teach people how to become more self-compassionate. Uh, so that's really what I do. I research and I teach self-compassion. Yes. And I'm so, I just want to acknowledge what a difference you're making in the world by doing this, because, uh, you know, I know for me, it's really changed my life. And I know so many people, my clients, my family members, my husband said, if you get a chance, tell her, I love her work. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's give the audience, would you please tell people a little bit about really what is self-compassion for anyone who hasn't heard of it? Yeah. So self-compassion is really, you know, quite simply compassion turned inward. So if we think of what compassion is compassion is concern for the alleviation of suffering, right? It's the, um, this kind of sense of, I care, I want to help in some way. And so we quite naturally do that for others. And I think it, it, we evolved to be compassionate to others, because if we did that, you know, we, our DNA passed on or to, our, to our kids who survived, but it's not so natural to do it for ourselves. And so what self-compassion is quite simply is just doing that U-turn and giving ourselves the same kindness, care, warmth, support that we naturally give to those we care about. Yeah. And, and what I've experienced myself is that when I give myself more compassion, I have more compassion for others. So, you know, it's easier to care for other people and understand what drives their behavior when I'm giving myself more compassion. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's actually doesn't appear to be true empirically that you have to have self-compassion before you give compassion to others, because a lot of people are actually truly compassionate to others, really kind and caring to others and aren't good to themselves. But what we find is when you increase in self-compassion, not only does it increase your ability to give to others, but really importantly, it allows you to sustain giving to others without burning out. So it provides more resources to be able to be compassionate and caring toward others. That's so important in the helping professions, which, you yes. know, many people listening are therapists. And yeah, so one of the things that I'm really curious about in this new fierce self-compassion paradigm is you talk about harnessing kindness to speak up, claim your power and thrive. So can you talk about how fierce self-compassion is different? Yeah, so there are different ways to alleviate suffering, right? So one way is what I like to call tender self-compassion. And this is really all about unconditional self-acceptance, right? So we accept that we're imperfect. Um, you know, we, we care for ourselves anyway. It's very different than self-esteem. It's kind of an unconditional sense of self-worth. It's more of a gentle, tender, nurturing energy. Um, but to alleviate our suffering, you know, although we need to accept ourselves, we don't want to accept all our behaviors. If our behaviors are unhealthy, it's not compassionate to accept those. And we also don't want to accept all our situations. You know, if, if we're in a toxic relationship or really unhealthy work situation, it's actually not compassionate just to let that slide. 
right? So, so if we really care about ourselves, we're going to do whatever we can to change our behaviors under situations so that we, we suffer less, right? And I like to call this the fierce side of self-compassion. It's really the action-oriented side of compassion. And there's three main ways that it manifests. There, there are probably more, but at least three that I've um, developed. One is a self-protection, right? So drawing boundaries, saying no, even getting angry when necessary to protect ourselves, to speak up, to stand up for ourselves. That's a really important part of self-compassion. Uh, also providing for our needs, right? Instead of just always saying yes to others, you know, yes, I'll do what you want. Actually saying, you know, my needs count too. And I'm going to take action. I'm going to spend time and energy and maybe even money if I need to, to actually meet my own needs. In other words, I count too. And then finally motivating change. Actually, the biggest barrier to self-compassion is people think will undermine their motivation. It's because they don't understand fierce self-compassion, right? Part of, care, part of caring for yourself is reaching your goals, learning from your mistakes. But the thing is you do it not out of a sense of insufficiency, like beating yourself up if you fail or thinking I am a failure if I fail. No, you aren't a failure. You can still tenderly, unconditionally accept yourself for failing. And yet part of being compassionate is saying, but what can I learn from this failure? How can I do better next time? Because I care about myself and doing it with encouragement as opposed to harsh self-judgment. So this is really a fierce and tender self-compassion. And, and I wrote the book for women primarily just because, I mean, we need both, right? It's like yin and yang. We need both to balance both energies to be healthy and whole. The traditional gender role socialization interferes with the inability to find balance. So for men, it actually, it makes it hard for men to be tender toward themselves. I mean, boys are called names that they're too sensitive or tender. And that really harms men because it cuts them off from this really efficient source of coping and resilience, which is unconditional self-acceptance. Um, and, but for women, it's the opposite, right? Women are allowed to be tender, at least to others, not themselves, but they aren't allowed to be fierce, right? They aren't allowed to be too competent or too agentic or too angry. And that harms women because it actually disempowers them. And it means they're always saying yes to others. And a lot of women have issues, you know, getting angry because people don't like angry women or even too competent. People don't like competent women. Um, and so it's, it's so, you know, both men and women need to be in the center, but the way they're off balance is a little bit different depending on how you've been socialized. So that's why I wrote my book for women in particular, but anyone can benefit from tender and fierce self-compassion. Yeah. And you mentioned that yin and yang, and I've heard you use that before talking about self-compassion, but can you explain what that is for anyone who's listening and doesn't know? Yeah. So yin and yang, I mean, it comes from Chinese philosophy. Everyone's seen the symbol dark and light and they kind of form a non-dualism at their core. They're, they're kind of interrelated. So yin is traditionally more of a soft, yielding, gentle energy of life. And yang is more of a, you know, hard, active, action-oriented, powerful energy of life. And from the perspective of Chinese philosophy, you need both and they need to be in balance and integrated. And yin and yang map on really closely to fierce and tender self-compassion, right? So fierce is more the yang energy, uh, yin is more of the um, tender energy. And again, even though we, we kind of intuitively know we need both to be healthy and whole, because we've gendered these things, we've actually made it almost impossible for people to be healthy and whole by saying you can only really develop and express one side of this, um, you know, uh, duality. So uh, that's really what the book is about. It's trying to help people find that balance. That's beautiful. And 
I think the timing is perfect for this because we're in this time where people are saying the way things have been is not working. Yeah. A lot of people have been disempowered by our culture, women and many marginalized groups. And, you know, it's like, we can't just say, Oh, that's okay. I understand you're human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No, absolutely. I mean, one of the criticisms, I don't know if it's fair or not, but one of the criticisms of the mindfulness and compassion movement, which is happening is that, well, yeah, it's all very well for you to be happy and healthy on your meditation cushion, but meanwhile, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? What are you doing about it? And so, and again, that's, that would be imbalanced, right? So too much, too much acceptance and tenderness without enough fierceness becomes complacency. And that's not good. You know, we, we need to make change. We need to stand up. We need to speak up. On the other hand, too much fierceness, if it's all about like do, 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 in some ways our world, that's, that's the problem in the world so far is like exploding resources and doing and achieving with no tender acceptance, that's not healthy either. So we, we really do need to attain balance. Um, and to do that, I think we are going to have to confront things like patriarchy, you know, the systems that exist because the systems in place benefit some people more than others, right? Basically benefit white men, if we're, you know, can we just say it out loud, um, yeah. benefit men, benefit people in power. And so in a way, it's kind of, it was, I had a lot of fun writing the book because, you know, the personal is political, right? Yeah. So it, getting comfort, comfortable with your anger, with your fierceness, with being self-assertive, all those things in yourself also gives you the ability to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I feel that so much with um, the protest movements that have been happening over the past year in particular. Um, But, you know, but obviously much longer than that, too. I mean, if you look at Martin Luther King or Gandhi, the way that the way they advocated for social change with compassion, they were all about the balance of yin and yang, you know, fierceness and tenderness, and they were incredibly effective movements. And so, I, you know, I didn't, obviously I didn't come up with this idea. <laughs> it's not a new idea that it needs to be spoken about over and over again, because I think it really is the only way forward. Yeah. And you see the the culture tries to squash dissent, even as yes. we have freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. But, yes. you know, it's it's there's a whole narrative about destruction that isn't really as destructive as it's being portrayed. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that voices are trying, are being disempowered and being disenfranchised. And a lot of these are internalized voices, right? And so Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, there's, there's a lot of different disenfranchised people like this internalized racism and stuff. But so my book, I don't really go into that as much as I talk about like the sexism. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, traditional gender roles, socialization, is internalized sexism because women are taught that they aren't powerful, that they aren't allowed to get angry, that, you know, people don't like them if they're too competent. I mean, the the research literature is really horrible. If you look at it, you look two exact same resumes, exact same qualifications, school and everything. People assume that the resume with the name Steve on it, as opposed to Susan, that Steve is more competent and he should be paid more money, he's a better leader. You know, this isn't conscious. If you ask people who's more competent, nowadays people actually say they think women are probably more competent. But unconsciously, all these stereotypes have been internalized. I mean, women do it to other women as well unconsciously. And that's why unpacking this and really making it conscious and consciously developing this fear side is important. And here's the thing. Um, 
it's true that people may not like us quite as much. If we're fierce and we stand up for ourselves and we stop saying yes to everything people want, they may like, I don't know, I liked her better before when she was totally compliant. And so part of what self-compassion gives you is it makes you less dependent on other people's approval. And not that you want to be rude or mean or anything, but, you know, it's like, well, actually my approval comes from myself. I don't need to like subordinate myself to you just so that you'll like me, whether it's a husband or, you know, work or whatever it is. Uh, It really gives you a lot of power, self-compassion. I like to joke that it's a superpower. It's in our back pocket. We don't even know it's here. Um, It's just like a a moment away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> treating yourself like you would treat it, someone you really cared about. And the other metaphor I like to use really resonates with women, but again, it's for all people. It's tender self-compassion, maybe metaphorically like mother, the you know, ideal, gentle, nurturing, accepting energy. And fierce self-compassion is like mama bear, fierce mama bear. You know, if you want to see someone fierce, you you try to attack mama bear's cubs, you know, you'll you'll be you'll be ah, you'll be in awe of the power there. And we all have that inside of us. You know, and sometimes it comes out with our children. It's allowed to come out in that context. So that's why I talk about harnessing kindness, harnessing that fierce, protective, loving, caring energy that we can show to our children or people we really love and making that U-turn and using it for ourselves. That's what seems so complicated because the the mama bear idea, it is culturally sanctioned and encouraged you fight for your children you do anything you have to do if bus is coming towards your children you step in front of that bus and stop it you know but um how do we do that for ourselves like that is so socially out of out of line you know to to be like no and yeah well that's not okay with me and things like that self-compassion is a practice, right? It's a practice. So, you know, you know, in the mindful self-compassion program, we've developed a lot of exercises and meditations. And in the book, I've adapted a lot of those specifically to develop more of the fierce quality of self-compassion. So it's something you need to do consciously and practice it. And the nice thing is you'll probably get it wrong. And then you can use the tender self-compassion. It's okay to get it wrong. You know, everyone gets it wrong. So I'm going to keep on trying, right? Um, and it is, it is a path. It's a process. It's not like you get there. It's not like you ever arrive at some destination. And you've got it all together. You'll continually get it wrong. But it's a really way of orienting toward life and having access to both our fierce and tender energy. It's going to help us be stronger, more capable, um, get through the difficult situations more easily. You know, it's, it's and again, it, it's not rocket science. That's the thing. It's not it's not even as complicated as meditation or maybe you want to like quiet the mind and all that. We have access to it more easily with that that feeling of caring concern. So once we practice giving that to ourselves, then it starts to become more natural, even things like standing up for ourselves and being willing to take risks because it, it is scary when you stand up for yourself. But when you, when the bottom line is, you know, if the person rejects me, it's going to be okay because I'm there for myself. It gives you a lot of power to take more risks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that makes sense to me because obviously mindful self-compassion, the tender side that we're more used to, isn't just something you, you try one time and then you've got it and it's all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a practice. It is a practice um, and, it, and it's continual. On the other hand, it's, it's actually, it's easy as just 
relating to yourself like a friend in that moment. Again, you know, so in, in a way it, it, it's a practice, but it's not a difficult practice. Um, it's just it's something you need to choose to do. It's really about giving yourself permission. Um, and then once you give yourself permission, it's not that hard. Now, for some people, it's more challenging, like depending on early family history, right? So it can be scary, more traumatic. And that's why therapy is so um, important. In fact, I, what the research seems to be suggesting is what makes good therapy is a therapist who helps their client have more self-compassion. Even if they don't use that word, even if they don't like do exercises, what you're trying to do is get, get the client, help the client be more healthy outside of the office, right? Which is really self-compassion. And so that is naturally what therapists do. Um, but when it's explicit, so the therapist helps the client do it explicitly, then it makes it even more portable, that therapy, when, when the client is on their own. But, you know, for some people, it does really help to have a helping hand, especially if there's early family trauma, things like that. Um, you know, some people need to go a little more slowly than others, take baby steps, but it can be done. I mean, that's, that's what the research shows. Even people with really complex trauma, they can learn more self-compassion. Yeah. And I've seen it myself. And, you know, I think something that you're bringing to mind when you say that is that I know with my clients and I've experienced it myself too, where doing mindful self-compassion practices because I'm feeling a lot and then suddenly the feeling gets like bigger, yeah. kind of feels worse all of a sudden. I'm like, oh no, that's not what, <laughs> that's yeah, not yeah. what I'm going for. Or clients will say, oh no, did I do it wrong? Is it, yeah, yeah. you know, why am I now having all these negative thoughts about myself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's natural. We actually have a term for it. Chris Germer, my colleague came up with this term, he calls it backdraft, right? Yeah. It's like a house on fire. If you just fling open the doors of a house and the fresh air run, rushes in, it's going to ignite with the fire, the flames inside and may, 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 you know, spew out really powerfully. And, you know, many of us, the way we've gotten through life is closing the doors of our heart. Yeah. We had to, to survive. And then you start opening the doors of your heart and all this stuff comes out that you had shoved down in there. Um, and it's actually a good sign. We want it to come out, right? Because it's affecting you, even if you aren't feeling it, even if you're numb to it. But if possible, and the reason firefighters have those picks is they poke holes around the perimeter of the house, like to let the air more slowly. That's what we want to do. We want to practice self-compassion in a way that's compassionate. And that sometimes means going more slowly, you know, putting your toe in and taking it out and, you know, do, um, distracting yourself if it gets overwhelming, grounding your feet in the floor, really stabilizing yourself. Sometimes you put the stuff in the drawer to come back to later, you know, mentally, because it's just too much right now. All those techniques, which therapists do to help, you know, if traumatic memories come up or disassociation comes up, you, you, you do need to be aware, especially if you're a therapist, to be aware of those techniques, because backdraft is natural. It's actually to be expected. It's a good sign. You don't want to overwhelm people. But it also doesn't mean that you have to like say, well, then that's just too hard for that person. Ever, they have no hope of ever being kind to themselves because of their history. That's not the case. Because someone just needs to maybe go a little more slowly. But I found once you tell people about backdraft, they're like, oh, that makes sense. And then they can have a better relationship with the backdraft even you know once, when people, once people realize it doesn't mean they're doing it wrong it means they're doing it right yeah it really seems to help it does and I'll say for me when that happened with me uh one particular time I 
stopped what I was doing, started making a grocery list, which brought me back to like, you know, analytical thinking and out of my emotions. But then I went straight to my therapist as soon as I could. And we started working with it. And it actually gave me an opportunity to address and begin healing something that I hadn't known was affecting me. So that's actually, that's what we want, right? You can never heal what you don't know is there. You can't heal it. You can't feel it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um, I think another point that I would love for you to talk about a little, if you can, is, you know, you said like the imbalance of yin and yang and and self-compassion and how, well, something you said that I saw on your website was, Tenderness without fierceness can become complacency, but right. fierceness without tenderness can become force and aggression. Yeah. Um, so is, do you address that in your book, like how to work with that? My entire, I almost feel like I'm ad nauseum. <laughs> That's the whole book. But you have to say it over and over again, because any point you make is like, because you have to be careful that you don't take it too extreme. You know, you do need the balance. So yeah, so I have practices, like I have a breathing yin and yang meditation where you actually balance the energies. All the practices which evoke this fierce energy, I usually end with the bringing in intentionally the more tender energy to allow them to merge and mingle and integrate. So you do have to be intentional about it. Um, And that's what I really tried to do in the book is help people find concrete ways to do that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think one of the things that works really well in the way you teach mindful self-compassion, just so, you know, for feedback for what it's worth is that the, the concrete exercises, sometimes it's a writing prompt, or sometimes it's like, how would you treat a friend and things like that? It, it kind of brings it to where you can kind of be like an observer a little bit and, and a little less close to it. So you can really think through it. Yeah. 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 So we tried to do (laughs) Well, I'm personally waiting for my copy that I hope will be delivered like as soon as it comes out, which is June 15th, right? June 15th, yeah. Yeah. And I know that this book is, it's the right time. It's really going to help so many people. So I'm so grateful to you for doing it. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, it's been been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah. Yes, I'm so grateful that you took the time to be with me today here. And where can people find everything you're doing? Well, so if you just Google self-compassion, you'll find me, you know, selfcompassion.org, but it doesn't matter how you spell it, you'll find me. And I have um, a new Fierce Self-Compassion page, and I have practices, Fierce Self-Compassion practices, regular tender self-compassion practices, and I've got exercises. And if you're a research nerd, I've got research there. You can, uh, a lot of therapists send their clients to my site because you can actually take the self-compassion scale and get a score which can be useful and, and it codes it for you and everything. So that's probably the best place to start selfcompassion.org. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And one of the things that's so cool about that scale is it tells you about like self-kindness, self-criticism, yeah. self-judgment, the various subscales, right? It breaks it out for you by subscale. So it's, yeah, it, it's useful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you might think that you're high in self-compassion, but it turns out you're also high in self-judgment and it's like, Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Dr. Neff, for being on Therapy Chat today. I can't wait to share this with our audience. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Laura. 
Hey therapists, do you feel stuck working with clients who can't access their emotions or name their inner experience? Do you find it difficult to work with people who are disconnected from their own emotions and they may be disconnected within the therapeutic relationship as well? Learn a comprehensive approach to conceptualize your client's concerns. Sensory motor psychotherapy uniquely includes the body in therapy as both the source of information and target for intervention because words are not enough. We all know that talk therapy is limited. You've heard it discussed on this podcast multiple, multiple, multiple times. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you also know that I am a huge fan of sensory motor psychotherapy. I've completed levels one and two and plan to pursue the certification level, level three. And the reason why I love it so much is because I've experienced shifts within myself through the experiential training process and huge shifts in my work with clients through the training that I've received with Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. I highly recommend that you check out their website, sensorymotor.org, to learn about their trainings. In fact, they have trainings coming up this summer. And to view their webinars, learn more about what sensory motor psychotherapy is. It's a beautiful, powerful method that I can't recommend highly enough. So check them out at sensorymotor.org. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you.